You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. What do you got in your cup there, Tom? That's uh, the real coffee. Whiskey. Even at this hour on a hot day. It's cold in the room. What about you? You drinking iced coffee? I got the green kind. Mountain Dew in a coffee cup. I'm trying to drink a little less coffee because it's not good for me. Trying to drink less Mountain Dew too, but... uh, Trying to reduce sugar too. Addictions are hard. Well, I'm drinking a uh, fine mochaccino out of our machine. And normally I wouldn't be consuming caffeinated beverages this time of day, but we had a mouse in the house last night, woke up the wife and woke up myself and was dealing with that for a while. Time to get a cat. There are two less mice in the house this morning than there were last night. Score is two to zero. <laughs> uh, Reese's peanut butter cups work really, really good. Peanut butter does too. Yeah. No. That's not, I didn't think it would work, but uh, my home builder, when they built, we had a mouse in the basement, and I told them, I said, we will not be moving into this house till you get that mouse out of there, because my wife thought. And he's like, yeah, I got this taken care of. He went and got a Reese's peanut butter cup on a mouse trap. One year when I was traveling, came home and there were two squirrels in the attic and they got down on the wall in the bedroom they could hear them I had two big traps like this size set them up I found where they got in in the garage you know with the wall in the garage yeah. found that I put it and I set the traps and I put the piece of tape because during the day they go out they're like not their reverse schedule they're out carousing during the day boom came home that night or that next morning Got him. Too juvenile. And I had a called a, I called a, um, a uh, pest guy, and he says, yeah, you got your two up there. You know that, right? I said, I hadn't even checked. He says, yeah, we got the two. We took care of it before. We put the traps down in the garage. And he said, listen tonight, if there's no news, you probably aren't done. Yeah. You fill in the hole? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Detailed uh, duct tape and... All right, you know, you're going to cut all that, obviously. This is not a class. This is not a session about pest control. Because if that was the case, you'd be rolling me out of here. <laughs> all right, let's do this. Welcome, listeners, to our 11th episode, a special edition of the Olson Thielen Q&A Over Coffee podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about best practices in reviewing financial statement. This episode will provide listeners with helpful hints and insight into reading their financial statements. This is a roundtable topic from three of us today with no guest speakers. So uh, myself, I'm Daniel Owens, co-hosting today, along with Tom Pesh on my left and Adam Adam Hennon on my right. So Looking forward to having a robust discussion about, you know, financial statements and why these are around. You know, why are we doing these things? Hopefully we'll have a little bit of fun today. Um, you know, with Tom and Adam, there's always some some fun little stories that are going to be going to be inter- interjected here. But, you know, really um, high level um, as a CPA, there are three different types of external uh, financial statement assurance provided, um, not necessarily but reporting, we'll say. And that would be audits, which is the, the most complex, uh, reviews, 
following that, and then compilations. And typically, these financial statements are usually prepared in accordance with United States Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, also known as GAAP, which is established by the FASB. But there are also some modifications of, of that that can be selected as well. You could do cash basis financial statements. Uh, you can also do tax basis financial statements or choose any other comprehensive basis of accounting, modified cash basis, et cetera. A L- lot, lot of options here. So, uh, you know, financial statements kind of, um, you know, my opinion are really are one of the important pieces of documents to really kind of tell the story of the business. But just like a lot of things in life, they really don't tell the complete story of a business. You know, the uh, financial statements and notes are, are numbers, um, you know, required numbers presentation, but they don't have all the nuance about your, your labor team, your executive team, uh, where the company is going. Kind of, you know, it's a historical, historical view, um, snapshot at a point in time. Maybe I'll start off with Tom and just get his perspective on financial statements. Tom is... Um, practices at Alderman Edenbury office and works with a lot of uh, a lot of our small business clients. Tom's worn many hats over his years and has had a lot of meetings probably to discuss financial statements with clients and also maybe those who require them, including their bankers. So, Tom, what are some of your thoughts? Thanks, Daniel. And I have a long hat rack. It's just a question of how many hats I might wear at any given day. So here's what I would tell you about the financial statements. While there are there are many different versions, and um, one of the other things that you didn't really mention was the preps, which is not a financial that is an assurance level, but a lot of CPA firms will do preps, and we do some of those, which is nothing more than transaction processing. And I was just talking to somebody about that on the phone just before we started this, that that's what we're handling for this client is the prep. But... Um, I, I love the concept of the other information around financial statements. And I use an example of in a restaurant, for example, they have what they call covers. They have the number of, of seats that they've served on any given week or month or day. And then like, for example, in the country club space, they might have, they might measure the number of guests that come through. So these are activity drivers on a organization that are the leading indicators of what the financial statements are going to present. So, for example, you might be in week three of a month, and the restaurant might say, well, we've had, you know, 125 covers so far. And they might say, well, that's great, because normally at the third week, we're only at about 110. So we're ahead of plan before the results are even reported. So I love the idea of activity driver uh, data being added along with financials. It's commonly known as a dashboard. And Adam, I'm sure you can give us an example of some dashboards that you may have seen, but it can take many, many formats and it can measure literally anything that the business organization needs to see. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, no, you're spot on. Our telecommunications industry does the same thing and they track, uh, they refer to them as connections, not customers anymore, right? But the connection point is directly correlated to the revenue side of things. And well, all that eventually makes its way down to the what I think is the most important piece is cash flow. So, um, you know, tracking those non-financial metrics, I think, is equally as important and looking at them side by side with your financial statements to really get the true story of what's going on. Yeah, and, and for your internal uh, financial statements on a monthly basis, you really do have a lot of flexibility in terms of how you want to have those prepared, what to look like. What are some of those KPIs, key performance indicators that are that are present for the organization? 
And that, you know, that one-page dashboard view is just so awesome, especially when you got non-financial readers. It just makes it a lot easier for them to kind of understand what, what's happening. Like, in, even in our own firm, we've got a key stats page that our COO does, right? It measures um, number of people, maybe the number of hours, or, I mean, key performance indicators. And so you can kind of tell by looking at that how we're doing relative to the prior year or the prior month or the prior week or whatever your measurement uh, comparison might be. So I love those those dashboard items. Yeah. You know, you, you brought up a good point when you, you mentioned prior year, and that was one thing I was going to point out. I think one of the most important things for people to know if they aren't already familiar is that financial statements are, they're a point in time. And a lot of times by the time you get them in your hands, you're already two to three months past, you know, the measurement date, so to speak. So looking at one financial statement isn't enough. Uh, you know, look, you have to look at a trend, right? You want to start building it and then Dan, you even mentioned like a financial statement might not tell you the whole picture of where you're going, but like anything in history, if you can start plotting back where you've been, you can kind of traject where you're going to be heading or at least the direction you're going. And so, you know, building a, you know, if you're talking to Tom's cover page, building a, a historical trend along with those metrics really starts to paint the picture of direction of where you're going, what's coming, you know, are you reaching full capacity? Are you going to need expansion? you can start to kind of extrapolate those bits and pieces out of your financial information. Uh, the Yeah, because, you know, when you're talking about financial statements too, um, you know, at some point a business is going to sunset and, and they might need to, to sell. And the one thing you'll kind of notice is that, you know, most companies probably don't probably don't sell for their book value. <laughs> Whatever's in their stockholders' equity uh, typically isn't going to be the transaction price. So, you know, financial statements do have kind of a... Um, a conservative bias, um, you know, us as accountants, um, our regulators have always um, really ensured that conservative principles are being used. So certain things may be understated, you know, you are building a land, go on at cost, they, the building gets depreciated over time. But if you sell that building a land, you might have a significant gain. Big markup. Yeah. So some of those values are really aren't tracked in the financials other than the cost. Now, if you have some investment securities on hand, typically those are recorded at, at market value. And so when the market goes up, we got some nice nice income. When the market goes down, like in 2022, we got a lot of companies with losses. So it is kind of interesting is that, you know, our, our financial statement um, makeup is some of this historic gap, uh, conservative conservatism, but also with some elements of market value. Yeah. Can you imagine how hard it would be to prepare a financial statement if you had to bring your fixed assets to market value. Every it would be year. crazy. It just doesn't make any sense. Because yeah. you'd have to assess their condition rel relative to repairs and maintenance and age and technology. It doesn't make any sense. Which is why they did, well, yeah, which is why they've done it to a historical basis. It's just clear and. Does Kelly Blue Book value buildings? Just vehicles. I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't think they do real estate. You got to go to your county website, add 10%. <laughs> And sometimes when you're preparing a personal financial statement, like some individuals, some owners have to do, you gotta, you do gotta go look at Kelly Blue Book for your, yeah. for your car's value, right? Just to give a, a good, good estimate of that. You still see a lot of that in your um, professional service practice, Tom. Uh, banks requiring personal financial statements for not for really, professionals. not really. Um, you know, the medical practice, um, the the bankers that know the business, they will tell you that. Uh, if you can defend against, if you have a, a certificate for a DDS practice or a medical practice or a law practice, if you can look at the 
producers that if they can, if the bank can defend against death, divorce, disability, um, that they're good with the financials on a cash basis. We've inherited financials from from prospects and new clients where they'll be preparing a full accrual financial for a medical practice, and that's really not the industry style. It's really not. They run it on a cash basis, hence to the different uh, methods of that Dan brought up about the different methods of accounting. So the the banks are looking to the practice. They might ask for personal financials, but those banks are not as tuned in, I don't think, as those that really know the industry. They'll just they'll just track the tax returns, the makes the year end financials. And as long as there's production and it's uh, everybody's cool, they're good. They they got it kind of dialed in. Yeah, it's been a while since I prepared a personal financial statement for somebody. Yeah, so not as prevalent as it once were. Right. Yeah, Tom and Adam, maybe you could just talk a little bit about you know what are some of your conversations with with bankers and and when they're looking to make a lending decision, in terms of uh, when they're reviewing statements, what are what are they kind of really looking for? Um, is it the ratios? Is it the uh, you know significant accounts receivable balances? You know, working capital. Yeah, you know, I from my experience anyway, banks want to know that they can get paid back for any uh, loans that they lend out. But as far as like the quality of the finance statements, in, in other words, like having a CPA prepare them and and what type of a test service they apply to that, I've yet to figure out, you know, what what bankers really want in regards to an audit versus a review. And I think some of it has to do with the history with the client and maybe their cash position and whether or not they have what the banker or the banks view as risk, uh, risky items, you know, maybe items subject to valuation where they might then ask for a review versus a, or an audit versus a review versus a compilation. But, um, for the most part, I think they like to see, you know, that you have adequate assets to cover your, your debt, that you're well leveraged and that you have good cash flow. That would be an interesting topic for a future podcast is to have a, you know, a banker who is on the lending side, commercial lending, come in and just talk about how it works with their loan committees and their approvals and really the items that they're keying in on and, you know, might be different by, by banker, but. So I should, I should alert you guys that, you know, early in my career, I worked in a bank. He was just going to say, Tom's flagging, Tom's flagging us. And, and I, I did not know this, but I, it did not surprise me that you said you had experience in the banking industry. I'm sure you also served in a restaurant and you also were nope. a train conductor. No, but, but let me give you the short story about the bank. So years ago I worked at, uh, was not Wells Fargo as a credit analyst right out of college. And I had the good fortune of working in their commercial loan group and the banks are just obsessive, obsessed with cash flow. So even to this day, when I do a financial statement review for a board or for a user, I'll we'll, we'll do the quick balance sheet point in time. We'll do the quick income statement. Here's the flow. But then we go to the cash flow statement because the cash is the king. And the banks are just obsessed with if there's cash flow, they're good because cash pays back loans. Now, the other thing that they want to always worry about is the uh, the collateral coverage. You were speaking about ass, more assets and liabilities. Collateral coverage is a big deal. And then it may or may not be outdated, but they call the C's of credit. And one of them is the cash flow. One of them is the collateral. And one of them is the character of the borrower. So if they can trust their borrower, then they're good with that. And so kind of to the whole issue of the the, the medical practice people, they got a, a valid license. They show up every day. 
they're happily married, they're fit, they're doing what they do. They're they're good with that because that person's likely on a I don't know a normal track. If they've got some collateral, they don't look to collateral. But if they've got cash flow, boy, they sleep hard. So the banks are really all about cash flow. Well, they might correct this if when they hear this, they might say, yeah. "Well, yeah, it's a little outdated, but maybe not, because it, as far as I know, net income doesn't really pay back loans. Cash flow does. Yeah, and in in my experience, anyway, bankers don't want to be responsible for collateral either, so they really, no. you know, they really don't want to own your assets. They <laughs> they just want to get paid back. The lot, the first, the, one of the first things that the the VP of credit said, we don't want to own their business. No way, no how. The last thing we want to do is liquidate because it's not good for them. It's not good for us. It's a hassle. You never get it. You never get, uh, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. Every, somebody takes a haircut somehow. It's never good. So you work with them. And if you need to restructure the debt, maybe string it out a little bit. You also, the, the one thing I heard early on was that you can pay for anything if you pay for it over a long enough period. So if you have a huge mortgage, and you want to take it not over 30 years, but 40 years, God forbid, it makes the payment less, but you might be able to afford it in the current year. So just something to think about. Length of repayment matters. And so the banks are very interested in helping those clients, those creditors get through tough times. And sometimes as a, as a borrower, you might be in a period of expansion and growth yeah. and um, perhaps the bank is going to have to make a significant lending decision. And we've certainly seen in our practice over the years is that, um, you know, the bank might previously have just accepted the tax return and, you know, internally produced statements. Uh, then at some point the bank's going to want a little bit more confidence. They want to, they're going to want to have the, uh, their, their borrower engage with the CPA, uh, to provide a, you know, a full disclosure compilation or review or audit, et cetera. Um, and, Sometimes when, you know, you go from, you know, that level of internal reporting to stepping up to externally uh, required gap financials, that is a, that's a uphill, it's a significant challenge. Uh, well, so then an example of that, Dano, is that you can go into the revenue recognition issue. So you may have a taxpayer or a client, um, if they're in the subscription business, they might be front end loading. And so if I pay $110 up front for an annual subscription, they might record all of that on receipt. And they might forget that they have to provide service over the entire year. So those methods of accounting that when what we as CPAs discover and we help the clients understand makes a difference. So their books might get an adjustment. I don't know, have you ever had any All the time. Experience? Yeah, all the time with those kind of timing transactions that the annual stuff is always hard. Prepaid expenses, yep. same thing. They might prepay their expenses. And for some people, uh, depending on which method of tax filer they are, that's a strategy. I mean, you you know, pay your expenses in one year and take the deduction. And, you know, the next year you're going to catch up on that, but unless you continue to play the juggling act. But, um, you know, so that's, you know, what you prepare for a tax basis, certainly different than what a bank is probably going to want to look at. Um, and those, actually, those two um, masters, do not serve each other because the, the banks are looking for economic reality and they're looking for a good picture of what's going on on the accrual basis. But for taxes, the tax law heavily incents uh, deferral of income and acceleration of expense. So they're, they're very different um, uh, masters or goals, we would say, but they can be reconciled and we do that all the time. Yeah, off, common areas too that often just have to get 
uh, updated or corrected if, for for us to opine on a financial statement for especially for those companies that are making the, that leap that jump. Uh, prepaid expenses, you know, if they expense everything for tax purposes, but you know, of course, they get economic, they get value going forward. You got to put that as an asset. Uh, oftentimes, you're missing um, accrued liabilities, accrued payroll, accrued vacation. Um, certainly, we had this lease standard that was effective uh, this last year, so we got our right of use asset operating lease uh, liabilities. So, uh, some companies keep their depreciation on the tax basis, and then they have to. Um, figure out they're going to have uh, the tax depreciation books and then they're going to have the, the gap depreciation. So a lot of adjustments there. So it's always just, uh, it's a big, it's a big step up. It's, it's, it's a, a big, big change in the game when you have to go to a, a gap uh, financial statement. I think it's important for the listeners to remember that as um, they are managing an organization and they're trying to decide what their financial statements are trying to tell them, they've got to be cognizant of what they're trying to learn. You know, whether it's like the, the dashboard, whether it's the cash flow, like a lot of the clinics have cash flow, cash basis, or whether it's on full accrual because you get the receivables, you get the payables, you get the inventory, you get the work in process. I mean, users have to ask themselves and seek advice. What are we trying to measure with our financial statements? Because there's different measurement tools to do different things. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. I've seen... Uh, businesses that look like they have low profit margins, but the owner is taking three times the salary that uh, a normal employee might take out of that business. And, it, you know, when you get come time to sell, a lot of times they'll go through a process, you know, the quality of earnings type of study where they pull that out and, and kind of replug in a reasonable salary. And all of a sudden, now that, that profitability of that company just went up two times, three times of what it was. So you can, you know, and that's not, that's not right or wrong. Uh, the financial statements reported just fine as that is if that owner's taking that wage out, but it doesn't always paint the true picture of profitability or what the company is generally able to produce. So, yeah, those are some fun conversations because I've got a, a client we do some work for on a quarterly basis, and uh, they have some favorable investment income, so they kind of operate at a loss. And it's when you got your stakeholder group explaining them without explaining too much is the reason why they have a a loss is that a lot of the shareholders we made a know, lot of money yeah get, get some nice w-2s uh income without having to do a lot of performance <laughs> well i think a lot of the medical practice and correct me if i'm wrong tom but a lot of times their goal at least with those partnerships is to, is to get that income paid out and distributed so you know sometimes they do that through distribution sometimes they do it through salary but um everybody's picture is a little bit different uh, yeah, it depends on this the setup, the entity tax tax entity, because now in the current environment we might want to have a little pass through, sure, because we get a pass through tax credit. So it depends. So Tom, I'm just going to throw throw one for you. If we got a tool belt, we have a, a hammer and a screwdriver. Which is the tax return and which is the financial statements? The hammer or the screwdriver? That's a that's a odd question. I would tell you that the where are you going with that, Daniel? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I always use the analogy that the accounting records are the foundation for the house and that the accounting records are really very key and those financial statements that come off of that and then on top of that, you do the tax returns. So the footings are the, the accounting thing. Whether that's a hammer or a screwdriver, probably the hammer is like the foundation, the accounting. I don't know. That's an odd question. I don't know that there's a good answer for that. Even me, I might be speechless. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, that's my goal. Okay. 
Less time, more dental. Okay. Oh, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you always got to experiment. Sure. It's R&D, Tom. We're doing some research and development right here. It's all good. Yeah. Including with our podcast. So, um, Adam, maybe uh, just talk a little bit about um, just your experience, too, in presenting financial statements to, you know, it could be um, boards of directors or other stakeholders. Uh, what are the kind of things that, that you like to uh, to key in on, on on those presentations? Well, it's, you know, that's heavily dependent on who I'm presenting to, and, and I'll I'll break off into two tangents. One is if I'm speaking to a for-profit industry or if I'm speaking to a non-profit industry, there's different strategies. And I think I can cover the non-profit one quicker, so I'll start with that. So if I'm presenting to a non-profit board, the focus is obviously different, right? The goal isn't to necessarily drive profits, even though you know, just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you shouldn't end with some profit. I mean, you do, you do need to operate in, as a profitable entity to continue your existence. But um, a lot of times there, the financial statements come out two to three months down the road. Um, and the board's responsibility in a nonprofit is is really just good governance, right? Are, is our financial reporting accurate? Are we filing good 990s? Um, are we following our mission and allocating program costs, uh, you know, accurately? And so my focus is very little on the financial statements unless they have some really big red flags on, hey, your operating cash flows are bad or you're not able to support or survive over the next three years unless you make some really drastic changes here. Um, and only because it's so historical. And for them, we're already past that and you guys are already three months into your next year's mission. So the focus becomes how many adjustments took place during the audit? How bad were your records? You know, what kind of processes do you need to improve on? What kind of internal controls do you need to think about from a risk standpoint? Um, so as long as the accounting is good in the audit process, the conversation with the board is really about, hey, look, your concern isn't necessarily about where you were on December 31st when we're doing this presentation in May. It's really about how accurate were our financials then and are we continuing to get that same um, accuracy throughout the year on a month-to-month basis because now you can rely on your accountant who's providing good financial statements and you don't have to worry necessarily that these might dramatically change come December 31st of the next year and your focus can really change to be more outward thinking of hey we got reliable financial statements now what do we want to do from a mission standpoint you know how do we want to spend these funds you know what what do we have for obligations to our donors stuff like that and so the, the discussion really changes you know, for that industry, for a for-profit industry, uh, at least especially in manufacturing, it's heavy cash flow, it's heavy uh, margins, EBITDA, you know, that's the, the true profitability drivers that you can kind of extract from those financial statements, a lot of trend analysis, you know, where's revenue going? Um, to Tom's point uh, earlier, we talked about the non-financial metrics, how many units did we produce? How many employees do we have? You know, what's the average uh, payroll per employee look like? You know, how are we running the business and what do those metrics look like? And that that becomes more of the discussion on a trend analysis. Yeah, and it's interesting too because, you know, what you see on the paper, it, it, it's how those trends come together. It, it's it sometimes factors that you won't ever see in a statement. Like I had a, a, you know, the manufacturing client years ago sold and they were in the, the steel business. And one year their, 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 their dollar amount of their sales went down but they actually had more volume because the the steel prices had shrunk and 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 converse. So sometimes it's tough when you're looking at it from a high level, unless you're having those conversations to understand that they actually might have had more revenue, but they actually had a worse year. Yeah, because <laughs> because they couldn't pass on all those price increases to the customers. So, um, you know, you got price and you got demand. That's a you know a 
the volume, so to speak. Yeah, and for companies that have really volatile um, inventory, you know, subject to steel or commodities, stuff like that, where the price is all over the place, um, it does become a challenge. And so you do want to stay ahead of it if you can. Yeah. Often in terms of, uh, you know, a presentation where usually often as a, a CPAs for external financial statements, for instance, usually showing about two years of data, um, public companies, it ends up being three. But sometimes it is nice to, uh, if you can have some charts or supplemental information, because two years still isn't a lot of history in terms of trends, like kind of like where a company's been on their roadmap or their journey. I like five years back, three years forward. And that forward's tough for everybody to do. <laughs> forward is tough. The um, five years back helps paint that trend. But, um, you know, looking all past three years gets tricky. Past five years, almost impossible. Um, so. so one of the things that I learned in my managerial certificate training was that the budget is really a profit tool. So when you, when you speak of going forward, uh, and I'll challenge clients on this on a regular basis. I'll say, you know, you did X amount of volume, X amount of expense, you made X amount of uh, profit. But the reality of it is you can actually plan your profit going forward. So if you, you do a sales budget, you say, well, we did $2 million last year. We want to do two four. How are you going to get there? Where's that extra four hundred going to come from? And you can kind of break it down and you can plan your profit. And when you put it in that context, you get a kind of a different look in their eye. It's very interesting. So that forward part, you can actually reverse engineer the metrics on the financials, assuming you can hit your numbers. So I always um, challenge clients, what's what's next year going to look like? How are you going to do it? What's it going to take? And you get all kinds of answers. I have no idea, or yeah, we can do this or that. And so it's all over the board. One of the things I want to uh, just mention is that sometimes the the accuracy of that interim reporting is really critical because they're making decisions about that. And so those internal accountants, those uh, controllers, bookkeepers, whatever we, whatever they are internally handling the books, they need to be adjusting the payables, the receivables, and the inventory, and maybe the prepaids, some, and maybe the accruals. Sometimes they'll have them do um, placeholders. If they're not able to get a hard number, just give me something. Give me an accrued payroll, 25 grand. Give me an accrued um, prepaid, you know, 10,000. Just give me something so I'm close. Because one of the things that the bankers taught me was that the, the data, even though it may not be exact, there's always trends that it's telling you something about where the business is going. And when you go back five years, as Adam said, and you try to predict three years, you should be able to draw some conclusion as to where the business is going and what's been happening. You know, if you've got a business that's been trending down every year, and you see that happening, you say, okay, this is not good. You got to either adjust or change or do something different. And so that interim reporting is really important because that can tell you what's happening on any given month to month. So that interim reporting is really a big deal. And I, we, I, we, I'm sure we've always challenged clients that the interim reporting is really important because you're not flying as blind then about what's going on in your business. I mean, a lot of them will say, well, I got cash. I got lots of cash. In the checkbook. Well, that if you're a construction company, it's because you did a huge billing and you haven't paid your suppliers yet. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not, now they know that, but they don't know, they don't know they, what that means on a traditional accounting spin. That's a, you know, you, you mentioned that I, I got a lot of cash and that is a very common thing I see with small business owners who, who are on a growth path. 
and they're used to managing their company. On, I call it managing by checkbook, right? They basically manage by their cash balance. They don't really, they maybe produce financial statements or the, their system can produce financial statements, but they don't really use them in the business for decision-making. And you hit a point when you're growing your business to where you all of a sudden can no longer manage by checkbook. You actually have to use your financial reporting and your other metrics to gauge the, the business, where you're going, how the volume's working, and make decisions off of that. And the biggest struggle I see is when those small business owners reach that point and, and veering away from managing by checkbook to managing by financial reporting. It's, it's a very hard thing to switch gears on. So the business actually grows past the owner. And so then they got to go back to their dashboards. You know, how many crews do I have with the field? How many patient visits have I had? How many covers have I done? And so the dashboard metrics become really important because it's starting to, you're, you're having to take data in and try to interpolate what's happening in your business because you can't be at all places at all times. That's right. And, you know, how much how much of that money are we t- got tied up in uh, our billings? Are It's taken us a week longer to get our billings done. We're... You know, our, our, our collectible, our, our accounts receivables growing. We're not getting the same strong types of collections anymore. So we're doing great, but we don't, you know, we're not getting that cash. We got to do something about that. So I, I have, you know, one, one other person that I was talking to had a hard time. Well, not really a hard time. She produced financial statements just fine. But one of her big things was how do I normalize my financial statements for all the stuff that's happened over the past couple of years? Um, because you know, what she would do is make notes, right? Like, oh, well, this year we received a PPP loan, right? So our income looks way off. And, you know, then we have an ERTC credit the year after, and maybe we got some big inflationary jumps on inventory pricing, right? So you have all these one-off anomalies and she would make footnotes. Well, the footnotes are there for two years because you're doing two-year comparison, you know, financial statements. She said, how would you present or how do you normalize your financial statements to maybe present it so that you're not always having to talk through those anomalies and that your readers can get a good view of what's going on. Have you guys done anything different, separate, or or do you, you just, you know, footnote and explain the the big variance there? Generally try to do footnote and explain because um, unless that, unless some of that income can go in towards the bottom and some sort of other income, it's just kind of in there, in your face. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just part, probably part of the explanation process. And, you know, it's just been a couple turbulent years in terms of, you know, the COVID effects and all the COVID stimulus programs that are available. So it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge um, presenting financial statements in front of uh, boards of directors last few years because of all this just volatility. The only solution I could possibly think of, Adam, is that you'd have to do your normal financials, but then you do a supplemental page and you'd have your gross sales as, re- as allowed. And then you'd have a line item that would say PPP forgiveness. And then you get to your, your net kind of income because right now we're reporting it as other below the line. So if you put the PPP up above and then they could see it then that, well, hey, our, our gross sales were XX and we were down, you know, 800 grand, but we got a, a 950 PPP loan. So we're almost even. So the program worked. We did a little better actually, but that's what our volume actually was. So you supplemental data and you could choose to report on it or not, or just do a spreadsheet, kind of hand it out at the meeting. Yeah, my advice was to to put more focus on the metrics, you know, the yeah. the revenue per units, the the cost per person type of thing, and, and follow that um, because that gives you maybe a better gauge of true operating activity, and and it pulls out some of that anomaly. That's a tough task because I mean, just the whole concept of normalizing, trying to get comparability, because it's going to be a problem for years to come. Yeah. 
Well, in conclusion, I want to thank uh, Tom and Adam for their for their perspective. Uh, accounting is often, you know, deemed to be a science, but there, in terms of financial statements, especially your internal ones, there is a bit of an art in terms of uh, the presentation of that and what might work for your business or not-for-profit organization. And as Tom said, the financial statements, they are foundation, foundational to your business or organization. Uh, maybe not a hammer, maybe not a screwdriver, but the foundation uh, of, of the organization. So uh, with that, I'd like to wrap up this uh, version, uh, episode 11 of the podcast. Um, one thing I forgot to talk about was drinking a nice uh, mochaccino today because of uh, some rodent issues at our house. Adam, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what's in your cup? I got I got Mountain Dew in my glass, and I have um, a lot of kids back to school going on in my personal life, so it's been a little bit crazy yet. Um, crazy is an understatement. Coming from my perspective, we're just going through this for the first time. Big adjustment. And Tom, what's uh, what's in your what's in your cup? That's just straight up coffee, a little less sugar, and uh, I love the autumn because it cools down and the leaves turn, and I just love the autumn. And we go back to business because we start doing tax planning in the fall. So that's, and our um, weather right now has been fantastic. Yeah, and this, you know, so I have hot coffee today. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I had quite a few uh, iced coffees this summer, especially when it was hot. So, yep. well, well, thanks everybody, and please uh, join us on our next podcast. It's a couple weeks out, it'll be our our twelfth edition. So that's awesome. Thanks for sticking with us so long. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Dan. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A over coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.